We're making it easier to listen to the World Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The following program is being brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. To the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. What you hear in the next hour could very well save your life. Now, here's your host, Sharon Kleina. I want to invite you to listen to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Power of Water. I'm Sharon Kleina. We're starting, we're into our fourth year with the Power of Water, and the guests have been unbelievably extraordinary throughout the world. We've been in Kenya, Holland, United Kingdom, Sweden, all over the world. And what we've been learning together is absolutely the nature of what's going on, that everybody's curiosity on the planet today, Earth. You know, the Power of Water show has an opportunity for you and I to study together like a laboratory with these special guests about what can we do together to discover life in the water that can save lives and the planet Earth to be here forever. As you all know, recently I just joined with a special press release with uh, the blessings of the NASA U.S. Geological Survey group with Dwayne Cecil, and who's been with them for years, on when the shuttle is now not going back again for research, we need to also support today, now, anything to do with more research. Because when you're away from Earth, you're looking at Earth as a nature that offers us the natural nature of Earth, of what's going on, climate change. What is climate change? What is happening in different areas of our planet? What can we do to preserve fresh water? That's what's keeping us alive. Fresh water. Have you ever noticed that we're the planet that has the fresh water? We have life. We have so much happening. And have we progressed into exciting developments every day? Nature is a word that was chosen so far back. Just stop and think. Who invented the word nature? Nature is nature. We're living with the nature of the planet. It's not living with us the way we want it to, it's going to grow with its nature. In the United States of America, we grew last week by 50,000 and more people. We are now up to, here in the United States, a population of 3,311,993,867 people needing fresh water. In the world population, it grew 1,477,496. In 
in the world's population, we're almost to 7 billion people. 1.3 billion are in China. 1.2 billion are in India. We're growing. And we don't want to slow our birth down. We want it to grow. But we all have to take the responsibility to help each other. How are we going to live here together and be and, and, and learn how to be healthy. And this is what the show, Sharon Kleiner Hour, Power of Water, is all about. Today we have a really exciting guest again. Andrew Loosley is my first guest, who is spoken in China, United Kingdom, all over the world. About He's an international speaker uh, discussing today the topic is going to be natural cures, and he's going to tell you more about what he's been doing and what his background is. Our next guest is Andrew Lawler. He's a contributing editor at the Science Magazine, um, the Archaeology Magazine. He's a frequent writer for Smithsonian. I'm so sorry, Smithsonian and Discover and other publications. Today, we're going to discuss the shuttle, space, and what is happening out there that NASA is choosing to do next. And, uh, and another week, we're going to have Dwayne Cecil on, who's been with NASA for years, and U.S. Geological Survey, and now heading water research with the government. And we're going to learn even more. But today, we're really looking forward to Andrew Lawler teaching us a lot. I'm going to mention something before the show starts, two things. I've got a story here real quickly before our guest starts. Rachel Beckwith, nine years old, dies from tragic crash. Donors donated one million in her name for charity of water. She was raising with her church a donations for charity of water because she believed, Rachel believed, and I promise I won't cry, Rachel believed in her heart that water was the key element of all life on earth and the power in it had to come from strong faith. She died in a car crash, but she'd already been raising for her birthday present. She didn't want gifts. She wanted the checks written to charity water. So CNN decided when they heard about her car crash, it was a car crash pileup, they decided to help her out. And not only, she wanted $300 for her birthday. She only raised part of that. She only had $80 left to go. But she had a sudden passing away. She's now in heaven. Looking down on all of us, what can we do to keep Rachel's memory, Rachel Beckwith alive with water. I had to, I tell you, I have put millions and millions of dollars out of my pocket and others to study water. And Rachel believed that water in her heart, and she was only nine years old, that she believed so strongly. She didn't want birthday presents. She wanted people to contribute to the water resource of everybody on earth to have water. Did you know that 5,000 children die a day without water? We should do something about that. Also, I wanted to say hello to Robert Weir, who's been on my show many times. He's the author of The Planet Earth, Earth Day, and more. 
He's in right today in Tibet. He just uh, emailed me today, and do I envy him? And uh, we're looking forward to having him on the show as soon as he gets back from his trip. It won't be until February. We're going to listen to our sponsor, Nature of Tears Eye Mist. Did you know the surface of your eyes is 99% water? That when the eye drop touches that water, it causes a dehydration if the eyes are too dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, our sponsor, is the only eye mist that's 100% water, tissue culture grade water, with just a mist to supplement your eyes. Like you're drinking water, I hope, a day. You're able to give your eyes their thirst quenching with just a mist. We'll listen to our sponsor, and we'll be right back with Andrew. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. You're listening to the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to Sharon Kleina Hour at Yahoo.com. That's Sharon Kleina Hour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Andrew, are you with us? Andrew? Hi. Sharon. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? It's nice to have you on again. I wanted to ask you, where are you today? Are you in the UK or are you here in the United States? No, I'm actually in the UK. I'm in London, in Kensington, West London. Before we start out on the nature of cures, natural cures, all I can think about is you and I are dedicating our lives to nature and try to keep people to be more proactive than running to the medicine cabinet and value our lives. But... Real quickly, uh, because we have you on, what is happening today with your riots? Are people finally deciding that the value of our lives together on this the earth and in your country of England is much more valuable with everybody's concerns than doing what happened at, that I was so shocked about? I bet you were too. Uh, absolutely. I, I think we uh, most of us are shocked here. Um, it's um, it's been quite a kind of confusing time for people, I think, and uh, quite frightening. You know, I, I know people that have been um, within the areas where this has been going on, and um, it, it's you know they're they're quite fearful. It's quite worrying. Um, I think it's caused um, a lot of people to come together, um, which has been phenomenal and and what we really need. Um, you know, living in a big city like London, you do spend a lot of your time kind of walking around and feeling 
you can feel quite isolated and you don't interact with the surrounding people. So when these events happen and people end up um, in, in a slightly more traumatic environment, they seem to obviously come together and, and unite um, and try to, to sort of uh, produce a positive force to uh, rectify these situations. So it, it's been interesting. I mean, I've been very fortunate that I haven't been directly involved in, you know, I'm not in an environment where that's happening, but I do mm-hmm. know people that have been, so... Yeah, well, God bless all of you. Now, I wanted to just mention something today with your uh, dedication and commitment uh, on natural cures, cures here. You know, I my whole goal when I started studying dehydration disease, Andrew, was learning how we could learn how to get up in the morning, live our days with learning to get to know who we are and our own health issues personally. And not go to the medicine cabinet if we don't have to. If, if we do, that's different. We go to the doctor and we learn what we must be taking that's uh, healthy for us and a, a cure for us. But you have dedicated your life to st- learning this. Tell us a little bit how, why you got involved and then tell us what you're learning. Okay. <laughs> um, well, I got involved um, from a really early age um, very, very young. I mean, I, I'm the fifth generation in my family to use herbal medicine, um, just on my mother's side. Um, and um, actually, the, the lineage goes back much further than that. And in many directions across my family, as we uncover the family tree, we're finding more and more uh, practitioners, you know, that we're using natural methods to help people. So somehow I kind of feel that it's just I don't know, I don't use the word destiny generally in my life, but I feel that it's my direction to go in. Um, so I, I, was, I was basically raised with this tradition and uh, with a Western herbal tradition. And um, Well, you know, really, uh, Andrew, I don't know how old you are, but I'm very open to the world hearing how old I am. I'm uh, almost 70. And I okay. find myself in an era, I came from an era of, people on my mother's side, my grandparents, got caught up in the medicine cabinet. And what I mean by that here in America and around the world, they wanted to fix, they learned to, to want to fix a quick fix, thinking it was going to make a quick fix. Yeah, yeah. And what I learned in my studies here, Andrew, is the earth has changed from the day it began with a higher plan. And it's coming along as a well-knowledge, very knowledgeable now. The earth has always been changing. They wanted to call it global warming. They wanted to call it all these things. But it has been changing since day one. And here we are today, and we're learning. We must learn to live with the nature of the earth. Is it taking medication, although it's being polluted? Is it losing its fresh water? Yes. And on the surface of the globe. So... Your family and others, uh, like you, you and your other, your family and others in the world, China and different countries of the world, learned that the nature of our life must be understood before we go to the medicine cabinet. So herbs meant, can we do something with nature and learn? But you know, Andrew, we ha- as a radio show and yourself, what you do, we got to teach because it's so confusing. It's like when, when I don't know how you were in the UK, but the global warming issue was so confusing. Now, if we say climate change and the Earth cycle of change, and the moon changing and the sun changing and the wind changing and more, 
But people really thought, oh, my gosh, this is all caused because of us and global warming. I'm sure there's nothing we can do about it because it's there. That's not true, is it? People can learn to be proactive and work together and make this a united earth and learn what herbs are all about, what the teas are all about. Learn what water is all about. So tell us some of the herbs that you've been learning about because people are confused. I think they're very confused, um, and um, I, you know, my my direction uh, is always to um, basically live as natural a life as possible. I think this is the the best way that we can live, and and I like your sort of quote of the the you know, going to the medicine cabinet. The majority of people do do that, and. Um, it's it's not really the way forward, and I think we're starting to see that. But the kind of herbs that I use, um, I was as I said, I was raised using Western herbs, which are local to to Europe, and some of them uh, you will find in America too. Um, but my work now for the last uh, 15 years actually has been um, uh, based on using Chinese herbal medicine, mm-hmm. um, which is also very big in in the U.S. Um, did you know, um, I, ho- I try to go to this, uh, look this up. We had a Dr. Effie Chow, PhD. Yeah. Uh, did you hear that show by chance? I, I didn't, unfortunately. Oh, you've got to no. look it up on, in there and uh, you'll find her. Dr. Effie Chow, PhD yeah. from China. And uh, we just had her on and we're going to have her on again quite often because we're believing that in China with the pollution, that there, th- what can you do about it, Andrew? in China right now. I mean, how long would it take to clear up the air, the soil, the clothing that's contaminated because of it, and the contaminated water? So you need to learn to be more proactive. And she was saying, Andrew, it's so sad because uh, people in China want to be more Western, but they might need to go back to more Eastern because the Western cures are not working as well and people are dying every day or having all these symptoms if they go back to some of the Eastern th- uh, thoughts, the herbs and the teas and more, they might get more proactive of how to take better care of themselves each day. Did the earth go to the medicine cabinet? No. The earth is nature. And earth is so exciting to live with and that air we're breathing. Uh, but tell us some of the herbs that you've learned about. Um, okay, some really common her- herbs. Um uh, you could uh, pick dandelion as an example. This is something that you'll get in America as well. So um, Now, I'm going to say to you, they're bitter. How do you cook, fix them so they're not bitter? <laughs> they're only bitter <laughs> if you pick them at the wrong time of year, although there, there oh, isn't okay. really a wrong time. But if you Thank pick you. them in the spring, they're much sweeter. Um, they're, they're much better when they're small leaves. You can use them all year round. It doesn't matter um, when you pick them, really. Um, there isn't really a way of, if they are bitter, there isn't a way of making them a lot better. But they're normally used in a, a very light tea, or you can uh, dry tea. the roots and you can oh. uh, roast the roots. And that's now, I, I'm going to back you up because I've been studying t- teas for about three years, and I have this oh. thing about tea, learning of that 5,000-year tea uh, remedy. Um, when you go to use dandelion for tea, how, tell us how to do it. Um, well, it depends. In herbal medicine, it depends on the part of the plant that you're using. So if you're okay. using any of the upper parts upper of the plant, the flowers, the leaves, 
um, generally the seeds as well. These are all very rich in uh, volatile oils. Uh, we also refer to them as essential oils. Mm -hmm. And these are active components that you quite often want to keep. So if you're using the leaves, the, the seeds or the flowers, you generally just steep them in hot water, never boiling water but just freshly boiled water that has cooled down. And you put a lid on the container that you're leaving them in and you just let them sit for about three to five minutes. That's mm -hmm. normally sufficient to get the active ingredients out. Mm -hmm. um, if you're using a, a root or a bark, something or a, or a twig that's, that's sort of much uh, denser, much thicker, you mm -hmm. actually need to cook it. Um, and generally you would cook for a minimum of 20 to 40 minutes, depending on how thick the uh, piece of root is that you're, you're cooking. Um, and then in both cases, you strain them and you, you drink them fresh. I was going to say, you'd strain them. I'm glad you mentioned that to the audience because they need to, you know, follow us, uh, Andrew. We need to be taken a step of the way. Today, yeah. we're also inundated with so much information that we'll nod our head a lot of times thinking, oh, sure, we know all about this, but we don't. And uh, so you strain, you boil it, steep it, and then you strain it. Absolutely. And then drink the, the remaining liquid. The liquid. Um, but, you know, with, with, um, with herbs like this that are very much food-grade herbs, so they have a medicinal property, but they are also a, a, a type of food our ancestors lived on them, um, you can use dandelion in salads, which is, is really nice. Um, and um, dandelion is, is wonderful for, for many different things, but is very good for... Um, not so, such a nice thing to talk about, but it's for sort of phlegmatic problems when people have sort of chest infections and things like that. Or like, it can be very uh, useful. Well, you know what comes through my mind with my background, uh, dehydration disease studies, is we have, I don't know about in England, are you having a lot of allergies, continue, oh, more people getting allergies, allergies than ever in history? Uh, a lot here, especially well, where, because I'm in London and we are part of what's called the Thames Valley, where the r River Thames runs. Okay. And uh, this whole region is, is very bad for allergies. Okay, well, what is happening, because my background is research in the uh, organ of the eye. And what happens is when the organ of the eye is connected to the brain in the womb, but the eyelid opened once we're born, that eye is subjected to all the problems of the life we choose, what we're eating, the air we're living in, and that problem that's going on. Well, then the lungs, if the eyes begin to get too dry, it affects the mouth and the saliva, and, of course, you know what happens. An allergy could begin, and it begins to drain the phlegm into the lungs. And that's why those herbal remedies are so important that people can drink them to help decongest those lungs and detoxify the body. Am I right? Did, yep. did you follow me? Absolutely. Absolutely correct, yeah. Um, and uh, you, you don't have to drink these. That's, that's the, the great thing with technology really as well. You know, if you really can't um, take the taste of something is particularly bitter, you can, of course, have it uh, very carefully dried and, and made into a capsule. But you need to see a, a herbalist for this um, really to, to get now, the best. Could you, have it, could you dry it and uh, put it in your salad as a little crunchy? Is yeah. that possible? You could do that. I think the root may be a little bit too difficult. It, it okay. dries and generally goes very hard. Now, you mentioned um, something earlier the about the, the different parts of the plant. Which is the better part to taste? Uh, some you know, people don't like the bitterness. Is it the top part more bitter or the lower part? Uh, I think with dandelion you'll find generally that the, the leaves tend to be more bitter. Okay. Um, it really depends on the plant. It depends on the size. If you get a big plant, it's normally more bitter. 
if you get something uh, that's that's quite young, you know, it's it has a slightly sweeter taste. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay, tell us about another herb. <laughs> um, okay, um, fennel is another good one. Um, this is something that that actually is very good for women for menstrual issues and mm-hmm. uh, helps to circulate. From a, I practice Chinese medicine, so uh, we're always talking about energy and qi. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and right. uh, the movement of it through the body, and this is very, very important. Now let's back and, up for a second, back up for a second, and tell our audience what the word energy means to you. The word energy, um, to me, okay, or in, in, in Chinese medicine as I, I understand it, is the, it's our life force. You know, it's the stuff that makes us a living being, and it's the, the, the force behind everything, really, in nature. Um, and... Uh, but, but within our bodies, this is the force that makes everything happen. Um, so your heart beating, your lungs functioning, every single action that happens in the body, every function of the body is um, actually Well, you know, when the heart is beating, it's giving you a personal rhythm that affects the brain. And actually, it's your heart. I'm finding out from an education recently from Dr. Chow even said that it's the heart that's the, running the brain. And then I said to Dr. Chow, I said, you mean it's the rhythm. And Andrew, you just said it, the energy rhythm affecting your life. It's an individuality. Yes. Yes. So when you're learning how to work with your own energy, and you know something, Andrew, this is what I hope the show also offers to the world, is individuality, the miracle of each person is an orbit, an ecosystem of their personal self, of their own on this planet, affecting each other. And what you're thinking is, and you're studying in your family and you're learning uh, and you're dedicating your life to, is the nature of this. And the nature is learning to get to know your own energy, your own self, your own rhythm of life on the earth. And when you learn that, then all of a sudden it'll come back to you. It'll almost talk back to you. This is what you're needing. If it's something that's not good for you, maybe you liked it too well. And it, said you, it may be a bit of craving that you shouldn't have had. Then, then there's other things that tasted good that were good for you that you felt more energy as you just taught us. Okay, teach us another one. Absolutely. Another herb or? No, I'm here. Hi. Oh, you're there. Okay, what, what, what was another herb you wanted to teach us? <laughs> Sorry, you said teach us another one. Another yes, herb. another herb. Uh, yeah. the, uh, if people want to learn uh, herbs, uh, what other herbs do you have to teach us? Okay, I'm, I'm trying to pick um, Western herbs here, you know, um, because obviously these are more um, applicable to people. You're more likely to find them. And these are things that you can use at home, you know, um, as well. So common, another common herb that's very useful is rosemary. Rosemary. Um, I have yeah. a big rosemary bush. It's, it really is a, a beautiful herb. It gives a beautiful... You just have to walk past it and rush, run your hand over the top and you get this wonderful fragrance to yes. come from it. It's now, really that beautiful. also can be made into a tea. This can be made into a tea very easily by just literally picking some of the, um, the leaves. They're much more like needles, like almost like pine needles. Right. Um, but... Um, they can uh, be picked and just put into hot water. Whenever you're uh, using any uh, leaf or, or flower or seed from a plant, as I said, due to the oils that are there, you mm-hmm. should really put um, something over the top of the cup just while you're letting it sit. 
um, because you uh, just trap all of the essential oils in there so that you retain them. Now, um, rosemary, rosemary is something people could grow at home. Absolutely. And I have a bush that's just huge. And, um, Andrew, I, I love to steam my vegetables. And I put it, uh, large sprigs, uh, stems, over the top of my steamed vegetables with mm. a little bit of, of, um, of, uh, of other herbs that I uh, pour into water and put over the top and then as a liquid and then let the rosemary steep in, and oh my gosh, the flavor. Um, I, I want to ask you, uh, have you ever used very much lavender? Lavender I use a lot, yes, for myself. Okay, because that's something a lot of people don't know enough about. Tell us about lavender. Really? Okay. It's it's very popular in Europe here, um, particularly in England. Um, Lavender is mainly a, a relaxant, um, has, a, has a strong relaxing effect on, on the nervous, central nervous system and mm-hmm. um, also is um, very uh, g- good as an anti-inflammatory. So it can be applied um, to uh, the skin. Anything that contains lavender oil um, mm-hmm. can be applied to the skin to actually uh, calm down inflammation and um, mm-hmm. to reduce uh, reddening, reddening of the skin. If that, but, uh, if that calms down inflammation, would that also reduce maybe a little bit of stress that you uh, might absolutely. be feeling? My, that, that's, that's exactly what I was going to say. Um, to help with stress, um, you can actually put a little bit of it on your wrists. It's, it's mm-hmm. one of only two essential oils, mm-hmm. if you're buying the oils uh, in, uh, you know, in bottles. It's one of only two that you can actually apply to the skin directly. Uh, you, you know, um, Andrew, have you, uh, I don't know about it in the U.K., but I'm sure you are because you're such a much older country. But uh, and over here in Oregon, I'm living in Oregon, that there's um, lavender farms, plantations, and they're making uh, um, jams with lavender. They're making pastry with lavender. <laughs> they're putting lavender in water, and you can shake it up and spray it on your walls and your shower and the steam. Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> you have a lot of relaxed people in Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever been to Oregon? Not yet, no. Oh, you got to no. come. Come on over to Oregon. It's, <laughs> uh, you know where it's at. It's on the West Coast between Washington Absolutely. and California. Yeah. I'm sitting here among the mountains. Uh, but again, uh, back to have you and there in the UK, have you started, have you heard about the pastry and the jams? Not the pastry, oh, but... Oh, it um, is unbelievable. I, the flavor really, is beyond I, I all imagination. The, I have seen the jam, um, but I we have um, lavender lemonade here also, which is really oh delightful. Gosh. How do you make um, lavender lemonade? Well, it's, it's, I think, I'm not 100% sure, but I think uh, literally uh, it's a homemade lemonade with lemon, uh-huh. uh, just fresh lemon, water, uh-huh. and a little bit of either honey or sugar. Um, and um, and I think they just add the lavender blossoms into it um, oh, and wow. let it steep. And uh, it's it's a really wonderful taste. But, you know, lavender fan- is really fantastic for relaxation. And, okay, we um, only have one minute left. I've enjoyed every minute, so we're going to have to have you back. How would you like to, what would you like to say to your audience around the world uh, and who you are? Well, I, I just would say that, um, you know, the, the key factor from all my years of, of doing what I do is to try to live a natural life, try to, to drink clean water, try to eat good food, 
um, clean food that isn't sprayed with pesticides, um, try to live well, exercise, balance your, your life and your diet through natural methods of, of treatment if you have to use any um, where possible. And, uh, you know, as you said, try not to rush to the medicine cabinet for everything um, unless it's absolutely vital. So it's really, to me, just about living naturally and uh, living, finding our place you know, on this planet. As a and they can being. go to your website, www.naturalfertilityexpert.com. Andrew, thank you so much, and you be well, and, uh, and Godspeed with everybody over there, because we're all in this together on this planet. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Sharon. It's been lovely thank to you. see you. Bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Wow. Wasn't that wonderful? I learned a lot, and I hope you did too, because there's so much to learn. Remember, when you get out of bed, that morning your feet begin to move. I don't care if you're coming from under the bridge or where you're coming from from your own private jet. You get up in the morning, you begin your day with your energy and your rhythm, and you take care of yourself. We're going to listen to, uh, to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist. You know that your eyes are 99% water at the surface. You, the dryness causes the eyes to deplete and lose their sight. Your eyes need a thirst quenching because the air is dry. It's polluted. We'll listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist, Just a Mist. And we'll be right back with Andrew Lawler. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to listen and talk. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. Listen. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to Sharon Kleina Hour at Yahoo.com. That's Sharon Kleina Hour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Andrew, are you with us? I am indeed. How are well, you? I am fine, and thank you for joining us. I was telling the audience that you're a contributing editor to Science Magazine, uh, Archaeology Magazine. Smithsonian, Discover, and more. So you really are getting around with the subject of our solar system, the planet Earth. And tell us how it's you got into what you're doing. It's a big universe out there, Sharon. You what? It's a big universe out there. Oh, aren't we finding Lots out? To write um, about. I just recently did a press release with the blessing of the NASA group and Dwayne Cecil on after one of our shows, Andrew, I said to Dwayne, I said, you know, I've got to bring something to the world. We're sitting here with water, fresh water, on Earth, 
And then there's a solar system that is obviously depending upon us to be in an eco-balance and keep that fresh water to be an influence uh, is obviously influencing the whole system. And I truly believe that. And he said, Sharon, that's right. So uh, tell us about what you've been learning uh, about us here and uh, out there. Well, uh, and we're not going to make of, this a science fiction movie. <laughs> speaking of, of water in the solar system, so let me ask you a question. I'll, I'll put you on the spot here. Go ahead. Where is, where is most of the water in our solar system? Where do you find the biggest ocean? I think on the planet Earth. I, did you notice I just said the word sink? <laughs> that was good to qualify because, in fact, you are wrong. In fact, ah, now okay. we know that the largest oceans are on four of the uh, moons that are circling Jupiter. Uh-huh. That, in fact, uh, Europa and, uh, and others, uh-huh. such as Callisto, underneath their icy skin, they actually consist largely of ocean. Now, we don't know this absolutely, absolutely for sure, uh, because we haven't actually gone there and drilled down and touched the water by a robot, but uh, because of some of the probes that NASA has sent out recently, we have been able to penetrate using radar uh, those icy skins, and actually they're, they're ocean worlds. And there's a great possibility there could be life on those uh, planets, but on those moons, but within the ocean. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one of the most exciting things that's going on right now is, uh, is looking more closely at Jupiter's system to see if, in fact, that might be a better place to look for life than Mars. Uh-huh. Now, when when they're doing this, and I've asked this of Dwayne and others, um, do they, are they able to stand back away from uh, the moon and see what the moisture level is? Because that's how you can see if there's water uh, even away from the spot and detecting ra- uh, 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 radar back to the water. Since it can't yes, well, visible, yes, how do they know there's moisture there? Has, uh, that a NASA probe has an instrument, has several instruments aboard it that uh-huh. uh, moves, that has been moving through the Jupiter system. Mm-hmm. And one of the, the focuses has been Europa, which is the largest moon mm-hmm. uh, of Jupiter. It's quite, quite, quite large, uh, in fact, larger than our own moon. Uh, it's unusual in its size. Mm-hmm. And uh, by penetrating using radar waves, mm-hmm. just like, um, say, you do with, you use sonar to mm-hmm. be able to see things in the water, you can send these uh, radio, radio, radar waves down mm-hmm. through the planet, through the, the moon in this case, mm-hmm. and penetrate the surface of the ice and actually map what's going on underneath. Now, now I'm going to put you on the spot for a minute, Andrew. Yes. When this is being, all of this good investment has been going on for so long now, and we're learning so much. Where do you believe most of this information is coming from, government research or private research? All of this is coming, all of the data that we're we're gathering from outside of the surface of the earth comes from uh, government spending. NASA is is financed by taxpayers. Mm -hmm. It, It will have industry build the spacecraft and launch the spacecraft for them, but the data that comes back from the scientists who are gathering the, the material from the instruments, mm-hmm. you know, they, are, they aren't necessarily government scientists, 
but mm. they have contracts with the government. Okay. So it okay. is government spending that is responsible government for us learning I, I what's going on outside it's of good uh, investing, the earth. Andrew. It's good investing. I, uh, I'm, a, I'm a, you know, I started studying water long ago and understood how powerful fresh water is. And then all of a sudden I'm learning how powerful this whole universe is along the way, that the air we're living in is the most powerful force of our lives there is. And without that humidity in the air, and it's getting so polluted, but uh, the government to continue to invest for us as our society on Earth to live and, and live forever is, is one of the reasons we don't mind paying taxes is for our yeah, generation the, the other to go on forever. Of how that money is being spent is uh, uh, the probes that are going to Mars. And there was just a, an interesting find that came out just about uh, a week ago, actually, in Science Magazine, which I, I write for, uh, where scientists looking at uh, data from the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter, which is circling mm-hmm. up around Mars, mm-hmm. they took uh, photographs of the surface, and they were able to tell that during the spring and the fall in, in Martian season time, they saw these dark streaks that would appear and then disappear. And their theory, which a lot of people agree with, is that there's actually water that is flowing on Mars. Now, we've known for a long time that there was water on Mars, that there is water on Mars. Uh, But the idea that water actually flows seasonally is big news. It's probably salty water and probably not in large amounts. But if if there is uh, flowing water on Mars today, the very, very dry, dry planet with a very low, uh, low, you know, very small atmosphere, then mm-hmm. that's big news because that, that could mean, in fact, that the uh, building blocks for life are in place on that planet and mm-hmm. also that if humans were to go there, there might be uh, resources such as water, which you are right, is incredibly important for, for humans and any other kind of life. Yeah, all life has to survive with fresh water. And well, uh, the water. Now, now you know, that there's a there's a question about that, which is another interesting little bit of research that that there is some evidence that there is life on Earth, which may depend on on sources other than water. Now, these are very very small, tiny bacteria. These are small creatures. And we're well, not, you not mean, talking but about now I'm going to get you to follow me for a second, uh, and what I've been learning through my many many decades is the water on Earth and the fresh water is putting moisture in the air that gives you the humidity for the organs to be able to live. I don't care if it's the blade of grass. And where I came from, Andrew, with my studies, is when the air is getting a pollution. It could be indoors is worse than outdoors uh, because of insulated windows and walls. But um, the humidity is so important to be able to thrive, and that only comes from water on the surface of the earth to provide that humidity. For those of us that actually live on the earth, for, for the creatures that live on the earth, but there are very, very small microorganisms which exist underneath the soil. In fact, in some cases, hundreds of feet down mm-hmm. that are surviving with a completely different mechanism, which we're only okay. now beginning to understand, okay. which we really I'm following don't understand you. yet. Okay, okay. Uh, do you believe this is why, you know, I've had on the show um, a very well-known organic farmer back east, thousands of acres, generations of a family uh, doing organic farming, but only four inches of rain a year. Mm. Wow. So, um, um, but again, during the show, we were talking, Andrew, how the humidity in the air is so important during the seasonal times. 
and they would learn to till that soil and keep that temperature and the soil moving so it would pull moisture out of the air, which is helpful, and and that would work. And so you're teaching us that down below that area, they're learning that there's life in that area that we need to learn to, uh, to get to learn more about. Yeah, these are called extremophiles, I mean, kind of extreme creatures that don't mm-hmm. live by the rules that we live by, mm-hmm. that is water, air, you know, what mm-hmm. we consider the basics, and what are the basics mm-hmm. for most mm-hmm. life on Earth. But there's a very mm-hmm. small percentage of creatures which, which actually live quite differently. And if you're looking for life beyond the Earth, then that's very important to know, because on Mars there may not be enough water for life to have been really practical, life as we understand it. But it could be that life there used another mechanism, used another kind of compound, uh, methane or some other element, in order to get the energy that we tend to use water for. Like your word energy, um, and our former guest was talking about uh, in Chinese healing, they believe in that energy. And, you know, stop and think, Andrew, so far back, millions of years, that what happened with our earth and the power of all that was there and the faith that it all had together and it began to happen as an energy, that there's still the unknown below the earth that is happening, that you just taught us, that is happening every day. And how far will it ever come until we learn more? And then other planets are going through what we as a planet millions of years ago, um, the, the stages we went through. You know, the changes that, that come along with every year, every day, every week, every month, every year. Um, so what, what are you learning lately that's fun? Uh, we're going to learn more about Mars and the water. Is there something else out there you would like to teach us? Well, I think the, I, I think what's most interesting to me is that if when we're thinking about places beyond the Earth and even places under the Earth, uh, we need to think differently about what life might look like and what kind of environment life might need. Uh, because we're used to water and air, we think that everything needs water and air. But in fact, that may not be true. We may encounter forms of life which uh, use completely different ways to create themselves. Uh, Evolution could have taken a radically different course on places like Mars or places like Europa. Imagine life developing underneath a a thick skin of ice in an ocean that is warmed by the actual movement of the moon around Jupiter, which creates uh, energy and creates warmth. So you could have all kinds of fantastic creatures, which uh, I think even Hollywood filmmakers might have a, a tough time uh, trying to imagine. I was, uh, I had, you had, you and I were so on the same wavelength. I, said, I was thinking, oh boy, Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> You're going to be called. <laughs> what a, what a, so you have that's is one thing vision. that would be really exciting to, to be able to, to look at the different ways in which life might manifest in the solar system. And we're just talking about our solar system here. This is just our neighborhood. This is mm-hmm. stuff that's relatively close by. Who knows what's happening on the planets that we now know, only the past few years, we know that most suns seem to have planets, which was not something we knew until fairly recently. But now telescopes are getting good enough to be able to detect planets around other stars. Mm 
Mm -hmm. uh, besides our own. And that is even more exciting because the possibility of different forms of life coming to be in different environments uh, multiplies exponentially. And you have all kinds of uh, uh, interesting ways that life could have developed, which we might not even recognize if we were to meet it. When you're writing some of this, this uh, when you're writing information that you gather, I bet you have a very challenging time to focus in the middle. Did you follow me? Uh, the biggest. You know, how do you biggest, take all the information and not? Yes. You know, you you, you want to bring it to the center because you want to be able to educate people as you go, because they wouldn't be able to imagine or vision what you just said. Well, the biggest challenge is to be able to talk to scientists and understand what they're saying and to pick out what seems interesting and important and then to, to, really, to really press them on the point because mm-hmm. if I don't understand it, there's no way I can communicate that to anybody else. So my mm-hmm. first job is to try and understand it myself. So every time I do a story, it's like taking uh, an exam or writing an essay. I'm, 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 I, have to, I have to learn. I have to do my research and talk to people. And most importantly, I have to say I don't understand. I don't know. Can you explain that again? I'm a little slow because the it truth is, is I am. It is so because it's it is great so far. to have yeah. scientists who will actually take the time and have the patience to explain mm-hmm. to a layperson like myself what's going on, so that then I can pass it on to uh, to to other people, to people like yourself, your listeners, to readers, and others. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, where did they go to find uh, the, what you've been doing? It's www.andrewlawler.com. That has a lot of my more recent stories. I did a story for Discover recently about Mars and also one about Europa as well. So you can look there and see some of the latest things I've been writing. I also cover archaeology as well. Tell us about your archaeology studies. Uh, well, for some reason, I'm, I'm interested in what's beyond the Earth and what's under the Earth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we were talking about extremophiles. Uh, <laughs> the other thing that, that exists below, of course, is, is the human past, which has been, uh, which is there waiting to be discovered. So in a sense, it's not so different from astronomy. Astronomy and archaeology are both trying to uncover things which, until now, we haven't been able to see or understand. Mm-hmm. So that. I, for me, the, the two interests are actually quite close. Uh, I just got back from a, a trip. I was in, in Syria earlier this year, uh, well as Lebanon and Uzbekistan. Just uh, My interest really is how did civilization begin? How did things start? How did we get to the kind of society we have today? I think this is the kind of fundamental question that interests everybody. I mean, everybody wants to know how they got to be who they are and how we got to be a society with cities and cars and all kinds of complex ways to pay your bills. How did that all start? Why did we leave a simpler way of life uh, in order to do what we're doing now? And that's, that's the question that archaeology that tries to answer. That is a fascinating study, unbelievable behavior study. Um, it's kind of like the new buzz, the algorithm. Uh, did you follow me? You know, yeah. when you think of the algorithms uh, of the Internet, and then all of a sudden you, you think, well, I think algorithm was invented from the beginning of time. Right? Y- yes. Um, algorithm, actually, the, the, the word itself is, a, is an Islamic word, I think, that, uh, that came from the Greek. 
Okay, and so life, as it's been moving, each moment of energy and rhythm has been progressing by all in that rhythm. And algorithm uh, is behavior of life. And, of course, on the, on the Internet, it's every time somebody touches the keyboard and they're all touching at different times or the same time, there's a rhythm that goes with that invention. Now, I'm going to yeah, well, ask you, yeah, we have three true. minutes left. Have you ever, by chance, studied um, the, the foods of the earth? And uh, why did they choose to, to um, along with everything you've been studying now, is why did they choose to eat uh, what they were eating to make life continue on and grow? And it's like water well, is, is alive the, and the soil is, is alive. This is really and, interesting questions of archaeology. And uh, the, the, the question that interests me is this. When we were hunter-gatherers, in other words, we, we foraged for food. Uh, we would go out in the woods and, and pick up things and hunt and, you know, do those kinds of things. We did that for most of human existence. Uh, most of the time the humans have been on Earth, they, they lived that way. And it wasn't a bad life because as soon as people began agriculture, began to grow grains, what happened? Well, our health got worse. Our teeth got worse. We died sooner. Our skeletons show that we didn't grow as much. We were shorter. Back you up for a and second. life wasn't how nearly as good. Did, uh, Andrew, how old were people living in the, uh, way back before they started all the, uh, the growing of the crops with, uh, with all the fertilizers? And uh, you're, you're touching on uh, the fertilizers. And, and, uh, well, I mean, I mean more agriculture. When people actually started to grow things, uh-huh. human health kind of went, went down the tube. Mm-hmm. Now, that changed in the past few hundred years, where mm-hmm. uh, obviously now people do live longer. Uh, we have you know, people have enough food to eat. Uh, there's plenty of food. You know, improved medical medical care, that kind of thing. But what's interesting to me is that is that we went from a a pretty good way of life. We had more free time. You have more free time when you're a hunter gatherer than you mm-hmm. do when you're working on a farm. Mm-hmm. So to me, the question is, why did we do it? And I don't really know Barry, the answer. can I have a show with a you on of, that someday? A new way of life. Andrew, can I have a show with you on that one someday? Because we're really sure, on this to. show, too. We've been bringing in uh, from Tufts University, Dr. Alan Taylor, who's studying because eyes are affected by what you're eating. We know, of course, the nature of your weight, your abdomen increasing, your gastric juices, what you're eating. And that would make a really good show. I'm out of time. I, you are full of information, and um, can I have you on again one time when you're slowing yeah, down and we can grab sure. you again? That would be great. Thanks very we'll much. Discuss, I enjoyed it. We'll discuss the eating habits of our planet and what happened. If you could look into that one, I will appreciate it. It sounds like a good lunch hour conversation. Okay. Well, thank you, and you have a wonderful day, and be well. All right. You thank too. You, Bye-bye. Bye. Well, the nature of our lives not only on the planet Earth, but you're learning there's a lot to be learned out in the universe. And the reason the Sharon Kleiner Hour, Power of Water, wanted to bring your attention to the nature of your life. Don't run to the medicine cabinet with your nature thinking. Go to the nature of your life first. And uh, when you learn to do that, you'll feel better. You'll be treating people with much more politeness, less anxiety, you'll find that you'll all of a sudden every day will want to do what is best for all, not just for yourself. Earth has a plan. 
Earth has a secret. Embrace your life, as I said today, which will earn your own rhythm and your own energy. But Earth is whispering. Don't ever say goodbye, because if you don't, you'll leave something behind and you will be immortal. I want to thank you for listening. Be well. Thank you for listening. Join us next week for another edition of the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water, Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Remember to visit Sharon's website at SharonKleinaHour.com.